The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. What do people say when they want to get to know you? Of course, there's uh, where are you from and what do you do? But pretty soon they'll ask, what kind of music do you like? Today, we're talking with two vegan legends who also make memorable music. After the break, we'll be joined by Moby, whose Little Pine cookbook is new and delicious. And in our first segment, I'll speak with Simone Reyes, whose reputation as an activist preceded her new role as a country singer. Hi, everybody. I'm Victoria Moran, your host of the Main Street Vegan Program. And if you were to ask me what my favorite music is, well... Country ties with musical theater because those songs both tell stories and stories may be even more nourishing than kale. So let me tell you a little bit about Simone. Dedicated to honoring the timeless country sound of her idols, such as Patsy Cline, Loretta Lynn, Tammy Wynette, and others, her songs are both contemporary and authentically true country. Simone Reyes, who is of Irish, Asian, and Spanish descent, is also an ex-reality star, world-renowned animal activist, TEDx speaker and author and vice president of communications of social compassion in legislation. Welcome, Simone. Thank you. I'm so excited. I've watched your activism for many years as a native New Yorker, and I'm so honored that you have me on your show. Well, it's wonderful to talk with you. I remember seeing you. In fact, I was talking about you this morning with my husband, and he was saying, didn't she always used to come to things with a little dog? Yes. (laughs) Yes. You got her right. How long did that beautiful dog live on this planet? 
Um, I got him when he was nine and he had just lost both of his eyes. So he never actually got to see me. Um, and I lost him six years later. Um, and it was very hard. He was on a feeding tube at the end and I did everything that I could to figure out what was wrong with him. We never quite, um, got that, but during the time that he was here, he, he was like an ambassador to, um, to adopting handicapped special needs animals. Um, it is incredible what animals can do and how they can make up for any um, problems that they have and how they still celebrate every moment of life that they are here. They're, they're our, our teachers. You know, people would be like, oh, you're such a, an incredible person for taking on such a, a huge job of taking on a blind dog. And it's true. It was, it was a huge responsibility to be a seeing eye person. Uh, however, um, it taught me so much about just living in the moment. And there was not a second that he felt pity for himself or felt bad for himself or, you know, wanted to stay home and be depressed because he didn't have the sight that he had a day earlier. No, it was, oh my God, you know, what's that toy? You know, I can hear it. Well, I'm going to find it. I'm going to play with it. You know, let's, let's get on a walk and let's smell every tree and every, you know, and check my P-mail and everything that, that dogs do that are, are, you know, completely healthy and don't have any handicaps. So, um, he was my greatest joy and my greatest gift, and I cannot wait to be reunited with him uh, one day in the kingdom. <laughs> oh, that's so beautiful. Well, we were just talking about my rescue pigeon. He's blind in one eye, and I don't think he knows that he's not having the fullness of life. I mean, a bird that can't fly, that's pretty sad. And yet he has such a personality, and he's created this kind of village for himself and there's a certain part of the apartment that he feels is really his and it happens to be the area you walk through to get to the front door and so you know you kind of take your life in your hand walking uh, in, outside the door since he's going to come and, and peck but it's just so interesting to see how just what you said despite difficulties they make the best and make the most and i think when humans do that i don't think we're quite as good at it but we do have a lot of wonderful ways to try to make the most of life. And one of those is music. So talk to us a little bit about you and your life and who you are and how you got from where you started out to uh, being a country singer. <laughs> well, you know, for many years, there was two aspects of my life pretty much, which was work and activism and you know thrown in there of course you know trying to have a relationship or you know or in having all of my animals at home um the idea of you know following a passion like country music which as everybody knows you know can go either way you know it's like i needed to have a steady paycheck i needed to be able to to work and take care of my animals and, and all this stuff there came a, a sort of opening um over the last two years where I found myself with, um, you know, work being as it was, uh, just having some more opportunity to sort of follow my passion. And my passion has always been singing and country music. I grew up loving country music, you know, Dolly Parton and John Denver and everybody, you know, Loretta Lynn, I, I listened to Patsy Cline. I listened to all of it. And I always thought to myself, you know, I love the idea of singing. I love the idea of creating uh, videos. And that's something that I, I would always want to do. And then of course I found myself having worked, you know, in a, in a business in music, but in hip hop for 30 years plus, and 
I guess most people would sort of think to themselves, oh, you know, that ship has sailed, but I'm just not one of those people. I mean, you look at somebody like Jennifer Aniston or you look at uh, Jennifer Lopez or um, Cher, you know, all of these women um, reinvent themselves and they never allow time to dictate anything. So I was like, why not me? You know, and so I started, um, uh, I wrote some music with Ken Compton, um, who was my partner for many years. And then I found a producer out in California, um, Al Bonham, and we just, you know, all started making music. And here I am. And actually singing live is probably the one thing that I'd never done before. So that was um, a learning curve and it still is. But um, I love the challenge and I've never shied away from anything that made me feel scared. I always am like, you know, people want to wait. I think that's a huge problem of why none of us get to follow our bliss. You want to wait until you're, you're ready. Well, you may never be ready or you want to wait until you won't be scared. You'll probably always be scared. So just like do whatever you want to do and do it scared. That's okay. It's fine. I love that. And and I also love the thing about not letting age or time make a difference because who's to say how long anybody has or when somebody is going to wake up and discover a gift that they didn't know they had the first 30 or 40 years. Okay. So <laughs> it's so thrilling. And we will, everybody, there is such a bonus in, uh, in this episode today. And that is that you're going to hear uh, one of Simone's songs uh, as we close. And you can tell us a little bit about that before we get there. So in terms of the priorities of your life, where are animals? Where's music? Where's your personal life? How do you make things work in a 24-hour day? Well, at the end of the day, I always, you know, it's funny. Um, my mother is visiting from, um, from New York and a COVID safe place to walk here are cemeteries. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, there's not a lot of traffic there. So we've been sort of, it's been our, our joy to go and visit some of the most beautiful cemeteries out here. And we read all of the headstones and some of them are hilarious, you know, um, and some of them are very heartfelt and they often are, you know, beloved wife or beloved husband or um, beloved mother or beloved, whatever. For me, I know for sure that, you know, the most important thing that it's going to say on my headstone is activist because my activism is really like my breath. It's something that I, you know, once I think there are a lot of people that, that unfortunately don't find their purpose in life. And I think that they're constantly searching for it or wondering why they might feel that they're not really um, living their authentic self. For me, once I found activism and thankfully I found it very young, I was in my uh, uh, early to mid twenties. That was sort of it. I had found my calling. I knew what I wanted to do. It doesn't mean that it doesn't complicate my life or uh, make me have less money or uh, less time to do other things, but that's number one. So in terms of priorities, my priorities are my animals, uh, my activism, my mom. Um, Work, of course, is, is something that's very important. The music is very important, but at the end of the day, those are the things that I think, you know, when it's all said and done, you want to be able to say my life meant something. And it doesn't matter if it meant something in the life of one animal that you, that you saved, because for that animal, it was their entire life. Or I tried to make a difference in changing the perception of, you know, animals as objects and as machines and property. So for me, activism is, is really important. And I try to make as much time as I can for that, because 
the activism isn't just something that I feed to sort of help, you know, animals, but it feeds me, it feeds my soul, it gives me a purpose, which is, I think, one of the most important things anybody can have. It is indeed. It seems that very often out in the world, people are put into categories. And so somebody who knows about you might hear that you were getting into music, and they would think you're going into some kind of animal rights folk music. But you're singing country songs, which come from a culture that seems to have a lot of hunting and barbecuing and that kind of thing in it. How do you juxtapose those? It does. I remember um, going backstage to Jason Aldean's concert, and he's, you know, arguably the most famous male country singer, you know, right now and for a long time has been. And um, he has a hunting television show. And I had people saying, how could you go and, and take a picture with him and this and that? And when I met him, he was like, oh, God, a vegan, you know, ugh. but then I spoke to his <laughs> then I spoke to his wife. And she said, you know, hunting is is one of our problems. And the only way that we've gotten through it is I don't allow him to hunt on our property. I don't you know, he doesn't hunt around me, things like that. And I sort of pushed her, you know, in our very short conversation that we had backstage, you know, like you're his biggest influence. You know, you have his ear 24 hours a day, you know, keep at it. So we have to keep communication open, whether it's, you know, playing at places that serve barbecue, um, you know, talking to other artists who are hunters, you know, if we just close ourselves off and just, you know, play to our own choir, that is not going to help the movement. I mean, Ingrid Newkirk has always said that because so many of us say, I, I will not date, you know, somebody who eats meat or, or drinks dairy or wears fur or whatever. And Ingrid is like, are you all crazy? You know, you have to date outside of veganism if you can, because that's how we get more vegans, right? Like who's going to have a bigger influence on somebody than their partner. So for me, you know, I would date somebody who wasn't vegan. I don't know that I could go so far as a hunter, but I would have to probably try, but I could never um, stay with somebody after I educated them on the inside of a slaughterhouse, the way that fur is made, whatever it is, I could never stay with somebody because then I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't trust their morals if they could say, okay, I understand why you're vegan and why you live vegan, but that's not enough for me to change. Then I'd have to go. But to, you know, to open yourself up to being around non-vegans, whether it's in country music or whether it's in your dating life or, or even in your friendship circle, you have to put yourself in these situations that are uncomfortable. Exactly. So are there other country music singers who are vegan that you know of? Carrie Underwood is vegan. I think she probably does it more for health and for things like that, because I've never seen her really do any animal rights themed, um, you know, posts on her Instagram and stuff, other than the fact that, hey, it's Thanksgiving and here's my, you know, vegan roast or whatever. Um, but country music um, is open to change. Um, there's been songs now about, you know, LGBTQ inclusions that you wouldn't have seen five, 10 years ago. There are, um, there are definitely at vegan festivals. I mean, at, sorry, at uh, country festivals, you'll see some vegan uh, food available. A good example is Tailgate Fest, um, where they, they, it's a big, huge country music festival out here. You'll see vegan options everywhere, things like that. So it is changing. It is evolving. 
And um, the more that we can get in there and and show people that, you know, our barbecue, you know, uh, food tastes just as good as what they are uh, cooking and will take the risks way lower for obesity and heart disease and diabetes and all of these things, you know, it's a win-win for everyone. So we have to keep putting ourselves in these weird situations. Yeah. And they have some amazing vegan food in Nashville and the Nashville Veg Fest is one of the best in the country. So much fun. But then everything they do in Nashville is fun. Yes. So everybody just um, so you can keep up with Simone, Simone Reyes, R-E-Y-E-S dot com on Instagram, um, Simone Reyes and then Simone Reyes music. And we'll put all those on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. So Simone, do you write your own songs? And if not, what do you look for in a song? I consider myself more of a lyricist. And so I work with songwriters who are great with melody. And that's a perfect fit for me, although I'm always open and do record other people's songs. The only thing that, um, you know, is required for me to choose to sing someone else's song is it has to resonate with me in some way. So every single song that I've chosen to record and do videos for, um, I have experienced that, you know, story, that situation. I can relate to it in some way um, or else I just won't, won't record the song. Yeah. Good for you. Well, I want to just talk a little bit before we actually hear uh, your beautiful song, I'm Ready, which is just a great song to listen to as you um, think about starting on a new path or something that takes some courage. Um, I do want to ask you a little bit about your activism. So social compassion in legislation, what, what do you do there? Well, I'm the vice president of communication and we have some amazing board members um, like Maggie Q and Diane Keaton. And it was started by Judy Mancuso, who is a very, very close friend of mine and a really a rock star in terms of animal legislation and animal rights. And what we do is we, you know, we're a group of activists that um, have gotten very tired um, by not being able to force people to do what's right for animals. So, um, we create legislation. It's expensive. It's time consuming. It's really hard because there's a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, animal abusers who have a lot more money, a lot more power and a lot higher numbers in terms of people to help sway the legislators in the wrong direction. That said, um, we were able to ban puppy mills in the state of California, uh, which is something that was a really huge undertaking. And from that, other states have been able to do copycat bills. So it's always a great thing for us to do new legislation here in California that other states can say, well, if they did it in California, why not here? We did a pet microchipping um, bill. We, we just now uh, did the California Pet Blood Bank Modernization Act uh, to try to bring transparency and compassion to uh, the animal blood banks here in California. Um, we've done bans on exotic skins, on the prohibition of use of animals in circuses, uh, wildlife protections. Uh, the really, really proud of the California Cruelty-Free Cosmetics Act, which is uh, it was a landmark bill that made California the first state in the nation to ban the, the sale of cosmetics and personal hygiene products that had been tested on, uh, on animals. And we've done tons of other legislation as well. But um, being able to do legislation for me as an activist has been one of the greatest gifts because I'm tired of asking people and begging people to do right by animals. I just want them to go to jail or be heavily fined um, if they don't. 
Oh, that sounds like a country song. I, I like it. I feel one coming on. So that that's wonderful, Simone. And now I know that you've also and, and lately been doing a lot of rescuing slaughterhouse animals. Tell us a little about that. Yes. Again, you know, it kind of goes with, I think, the theme of your show today, because um, I have been photographed um, along with uh, Diane Warren and Jane Velez Mitchell and, uh, you know, a lot of my friends having uh, dinner at Crossroads, which we all know is an incredible vegan, the best vegan restaurant, I think, um, along with Little Pine in in California um, with the owner of a slaughterhouse. And people say, how is that possible? How can you do that? That doesn't make any sense. And um, of course, we're on completely opposite ends of where um, where we would be in terms of um, you know our our belief in how animals uh, should be used or in our case not used at all. Um, however, that relationship has allowed me to walk out animals slated for slaughter, mothers with their babies, um, you know, time and time again. It's because of that relationship, because somewhere in um, in his heart, there is a place that he wants to get some of them out. And um, because of that, we have forged a friendship. Um, and because of that, we've been able to save animals. So um, being able to walk animals out of slaughterhouses is uh, something that for me personally is one of the greatest um, accomplishments and gifts of my life. And to see them thriving in uh, forever homes where they will never be used for anything, not for food, not for entertainment. They will not be sold to a laboratory. They will not be abused in any way is um, a blessing beyond anything that I, I've ever been able to uh, to say that I've been able to do in my career as an activist. That is so beautiful. I just had an image of you standing alongside of that sister, Helen Prejean. Remember how she would get innocent people off death row or when she wasn't able to do that, she would just be there with them. And it's, it's just the same energy going... Um, for ahimsa, for for reverence for life and saving everybody you can possibly save. So in just our last couple of minutes, before we hear your beautiful song, what would you like the people listening to know or to do? Well, I would love you to go to socialcompassionandlegislation.org so you can um, do the smallest of things, which is, you know, hit one of our links and that sends out emails to legislators to have them support and pass bills, whether it's Governor Newsom or uh, or getting advice on how to do things in your own states, um, that would be fantastic. Of course, to continue to tell people um, the stories of the animals that, that do get out alive, um, to show them the pictures of the terror on their faces of the ones that don't get out alive at slaughterhouses, the ones that don't get out alive in the fur industry, the ones that don't get alive, out alive in the leather industry. Um, you know, the ones that are being tortured every day in laboratories, the, uh, the animals that are being tortured at rodeos, in abusement parks, in aquariums, all of it. Tell, tell their stories. If you sort of show them one picture that moves you, chances are it will move somebody else. And that one ripple effect could, in essence, save anywhere from, you know, one animal to hundreds of animals in our lifetime, even thousands, uh, if they use their social media. Thank you. Thank you so much, Simone. You are someone that I have admired for many, many years. And 
I just see you navigating these various worlds so seamlessly. And I'm just so happy to be on earth at the same time as you. And now everybody listening, we have a treat in store. We don't usually get songs on the Main Street Vegan program, but today you're going to hear from Simone Reyes. And again, follow her on Instagram, Simone Reyes Music for her music and Simone Reyes for her animal activism. Get to know her better. And right now, just lean back unless you're on a treadmill and listen to I'm Ready. Here we go. Of my mistakes. I swear I find forgiveness if this old haunted heart will let me. I'm ready. I've been the toast of the town, been the joke of this place.
Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back, everybody. And I do want to invite you, if you're new to the program or even if you're not, to take a look at MainStreetVegan.net. We've got lots going on there, including the show notes for this program, where you can find out all sorts of places online and on social media to find our guests. But in addition, there's all the information about Main Street Vegan Academy. We have 550 graduates who are certified vegan lifestyle coaches and educators, and they are practicing in 32 countries on every continent except Antarctica. So we're now on Zoom, making it super easy. But I have been hearing from people, you know, it's still tough. The pandemic is still kind of financially happening for me. I would love to be a certified vegan lifestyle coach, but it's hard. So I would like to give you a discount code, uh, 20% off tuition, kindness20, with a capital K, when you go to MainStreetVegan.net slash Academy. I hope you can join us for our next class all weekends, seven days in January and February coming up. Would be wonderful to have you as part of the family. Well, I'm going to introduce you now to somebody who needs no introduction and who is absolutely part of the family. In fact, he has been called the godfather of veganism, and that is Moby. He's a musician, entrepreneur, activist, and philanthropist. His album Play sold more than 10 million copies worldwide, and he's released 14 solo albums in total. A serial side hustler, Moby opened the vegan restaurant Teeny, which I always thought was maybe TNY, I'll ask you about that, in New York City in 2002, and has since opened Little Pine, a unique contemporary vegan restaurant in the Silver Lake neighborhood of Los Angeles. That's an award-winning and amazing restaurant, and it is the inspiration for this gorgeous and beautiful book. If anybody's watching and can see this on uh, YouTube, I know most people are listening to a podcast, but it's a gorgeous book cover and I can't help myself but show it. It's called The Little Pine Cookbook, Modern Plant-Based Comfort Welcome Moby. Hi, um, I should say one thing off the bat. Um, I don't actually own Little Pine anymore. Okay. Uh, when the pandemic started, I realized that I wanted to have a, a slightly simpler life and a life more dedicated to animal rights activism. And so even though I, I ran Little Pine as a, an offshoot of my activism, but I sold it about a year ago. So I guess it's a little bit confusing because the cookbook 
is the product of Little Pine when I owned it, but I no longer own Little Pine. That still works. It's still there, correct? It's still there, yeah. And the guys who are running it, they actually, they seem to know what they're doing. So it's still there and it seems to be doing well. That's great. And then the rest of us all over the country and the world can enjoy the <laughs> recipes when we're not in LA. So just give us a little bit of history. I know you went vegan in 1987, so we're about the same vintage. What caused that to happen for you? Well, like most people, I grew up with what I think of as the big paradox. You know, when I was very young, I was surrounded by rescued animals and I loved the rescued animals who were in our home. We had rescued lab rats, rescued mice, rescued dogs, rescued cats, rescued guinea pigs, rescued gerbils, hamsters. We just had this menagerie of rescued animals and I loved all of them. But I was also a suburban boy and I loved Burger King and I loved pepperoni pizza and I loved hamburgers. And I, up until the time I was around 19 years old, I wasn't aware that it was egregiously inconsistent to love animals and also eat them. And then when I was 19, I was playing with uh, a rescued cat that we had named Tucker and a little switch got thrown in my brain. And I realized like I would never do anything to hurt Tucker. And I knew that Tucker the cat had this amazingly rich emotional life. And so I realized in an instant that every animal has an amazingly rich life and that I couldn't be involved in anything that would cause harm or rob an individual of their life. And so that was 1984 and I went vegetarian in 84. And then a few years later, 1987, went vegan. That's so cool. And it was a little bit hard back then to get information. I got mine from the American Vegan Society. Where did you find yours? For me, most of the information I found was at health food stores. Uh, like, you know, the health food stores I went to, they would all have a book rack. And that's where I found, you know, Peter Singer's Animal Liberation, where I found John Robbins' Diet for New America, the Laurel Kitchen cookbook, the Moosewood cookbook. So honestly, health food stores were sort of my information portal back then. I would go to the library as well. Um, but so much of it, you know, so much of my indoctrination came from health food stores. Yeah, I kind of miss those health food stores. Every now and then I'll see a little one here in Manhattan and I'll go in. <laughs> it's kind of for old time's sake. So that's all very cool. So I know that you say in the introduction to the Little Pine Cookbook that after you closed your New York City restaurant and in Teeny or TNY? Uh, we called it Teeny, but okay. whatever people wanted to call it was fine. Well, I, I loved it. I love the afternoon tea in particular, and those memories continue. Uh, but you said after that, you were never going to open another restaurant. So what inspired you to do it one more time? Well, uh, part of it was hubris. Um, but the other part was the desire to have a very sort of well-rounded, what I think of as an activist portfolio. Um, you know, like there's so many ways to advance animal rights and vegan activism. You know, there's the traditional way of giving money to charity, 501c3 organizations. There's also giving money to political candidates and political organizations, 501c4s. Um, 
there's supporting animal rights and vegan media, uh, whether that's films, books, products, etc. But then a huge part of it, self, and it's very self-explanatory, is food. You know, food is such a huge part of vegan activism. And so I opened Little Pine as a way of sort of promoting veganism through attraction, you know, through a, you know, a great wine list, beautiful interior design, a great menu. Um, and I was, of course, a little bit sad when I sold it, but I also am thrilled to no longer own a restaurant because owning a restaurant can be in a, ve a very effective form of activism, but it's also one of the most difficult undertakings anyone can undertake. Well, especially during a pandemic, I would imagine. Yeah, uh, I mean, my goal with Little Pine, as I said, was to represent vegan food and make it incredibly appealing. Um, and if it ever generated money, the money would go to animal rights organizations. But then I found myself losing quite a lot of money, like when the pandemic was kicking in. And I realized this was of no benefit to animals. This was of no benefit to animal rights, you know, like, and so that's why I sold the restaurant is so I could, I guess, focus my attention elsewhere. That makes sense. I think sometimes it's hard to say the time for something is up or my time with something is up and it can go on brilliantly with somebody else. So uh, good for you when, for knowing when the time was right. So on the cookbook, Modern Plant-Based Comfort, do you think that what still scares a lot of people away from veganism is they think that it means no comfort? Well, when you and I first went vegan, veganism meant health food. And I love healthy vegan food. You know, I, I mean, like the, re the restaurant I used to go to whenever I could afford it in New York was Angelica's Kitchen. Like that was my, my home away from home. And, you know, for the longest time, vegan food was whole grains and whole beans and organic vegetables. And it was great, but most people don't eat that way. And there was up until I did a mid nineties, really, people had this assumption that if you were vegan, you had to eat lentils and oats. Keeping in mind, I love lentils and oats, but at some point in the nineties, people realized like, oh, that vegan food could be indulgent. You know, it could be high-end indulgent, like, you know, former Candle 79 or Blossom, uh, or it can be, we'll call it like more pedestrian indulgent, like um, Chloe's or Monty's Good Burger. Uh, and that was a huge sea change, you know, where you could get people going to vegan restaurants looking for indulgence, looking for comfort. And of course, it takes a lot of convincing, you know, like, I mean, there are a lot of people who don't want to go to a vegan restaurant because they think they're going to get a bowl of lentils. Um, but as we've seen time and time again, like vegan burgers are phenomenal. Vegan quote unquote chicken is phenomenal. Vegan pizza is phenomenal. Vegan chocolate, vegan ice cream. Like you can be the most indulgent person in the world and never touch an animal product. Yeah, it is a new world. There are so many choices. I remember when Angelica's Kitchen closed and there were articles in the New York Times. Everybody was trying to, you know, weigh in on why this happened. And one of the articles was saying that people just weren't looking for the brown rice and beans anymore, even though I think there's 
certainly a group within the vegan world, the whole food plant-based people that that's the food. Yeah, I mean, so, that's, if I'm being honest, 99.9% of the time, that's how I eat. You know, I, I eat brown rice with tempeh and broccoli. But one thing I learned when I owned Little Pine was even the most, even the healthiest person on the planet wants to indulge when they go out to dinner. You know, they want to go out and they want to have a night of sort of hedonism and indulgence, even if the next day they're going to eat brown rice and tempeh. Yeah. And you have some beautiful, beautiful recipes that cover all the bases. I always like to make one recipe out of any cookbook that I feature on the show. And if there's mac and cheese in there, that's what I do. And oh, you've got a dandy mac and cheese. So I just want to just say to the listeners, you know, we've got holidays coming up. Maybe you want to give somebody a cookbook, give them this one, especially the non-vegans. Here's the rationale. It's like, oh my God, I can tell this is a book and she's a vegan. Vegan. It's going to be one of those vegan books, but then they're going to see it's Moby and they like Moby. And so they're going to open the book and they're going to cook the food and every vegan meal is one vegan meal to the good. So by all means, check that out, the Little Pine Cookbook, and we will put links in the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. So Moby, talk to me about the celebrity thing. I was thinking about the restaurant and having far memories when I was a teenager I was kind of ace girl reporter. I had a press card for a teen magazine and I got into my first Beatles press conference when I was 14. And through all those connections, I got the silent number to a restaurant on the King's Road in London. It was called Alvaro's. And you had to have the silent number or you couldn't go. And there was just something magical about going in there and kind of being lifted up by that aura of celebrity. Well, you've lived in that world for most of your life now, and I have a feeling you have a really interesting take on it. So uh, talk to those of us who don't live there. Well, I mean, and, and, and I apologize for stating the obvious, but we live in a culture that is obsessed with celebrity. One could say it's a culture that's driven by celebrity, you know, um, and I don't say that as a good thing. It's just a sort of a simple statement of empirical fact. And we could talk for hours about how complicated the world of celebrity is and how celebrities feel like they use their status to somehow exempt themselves from the human condition or the idea that people have that celebrity makes them more special somehow. None of that's true. You know, the human condition affects everyone. It catches up with everyone eventually and celebrities are no more interesting or smarter or funnier or better than non-celebrities. But somehow, some of us stumble into the world of celebrity. And I've been doing this for quite a long time. And so in that time, I've expected fame and celebrity to fix my issues. I've expected it to provide unending happiness and contentedness, and then been very sad to find out like, oh, it doesn't fix issues and it doesn't provide unending happiness and contentedness. So now the reason I'm grateful, I'm grateful for fame for a few reasons. One is that if we live in a culture that's obsessed with fame, I'm glad that I've experienced it largely so I can dismiss it. So I can, I know its shortcomings and it's hard to know those shortcomings until you've sort of been on the inside looking, you know, expecting fame to do more than it was designed for. Um, 
I'm also grateful that I have an audience for the work that I do. But mostly, first and foremost, you know, my life's work is animal rights, you know, working on behalf of animal rights. And for me, the only good use of fame is to promote animal rights. You know, like I post on social media quite a lot. And honestly, it was up to me. I would never post about myself. I would only post about animal rights. But every now and then I remember like, oh, there are people here who are interested in me. So I sort of every now and then have to throw up a picture of myself. But, you know, my goal in being famous and using fame is to just help to try and help create a world where animals are not used by and for humans. And sometimes people say, oh, I wish celebrities wouldn't say they're vegan until they're absolutely certain because we lose a lot when somebody leaves. What do you think? Yeah, uh, I try very hard to live a non-judgmental life. But if I'm being honest, when I find out that someone has you know, renounced their veganism or is calling themselves vegan, but eating fish or something. I'm like, yeah, if I'm being honest, I judge them. And it makes me incredibly sad. I, it, but it's also tricky. It's like, how do you navigate animal rights driven veganism in this world? Because the truth is as an animal rights driven vegan, I look at most people and I don't like, and I just don't understand. I'm like, I'm like, because really eating meat, eating dairy, it's sociopathic, if not psychopathic. Like people are engaging in a process that they know kills animals. And the first test for a psychopath is do you hurt animals? You know, talk to an FBI profiler and like, if they're trying to figure out whether someone's a psychopath, if they've hurt animals, they're a psychopath. But 99% of people on the planet actively hurt animals. How do we make sense of that? You know, how do we make sense of people engaging in a process that's destroying the climate, that's destroying the rainforests, rainforest, that's killing them, that's, you know, destroying their hearts, they're giving them cancer, diabetes, obesity, like, how do we make sense of it? You know, it's really, you know, it, it's quite a massive challenge applied to celebrities, but also just applied to humans in general. That's such a tough one because tolerance is a really positive word and, and nobody wants to feel like they're bigoted or like they're in a corner and they're not going to allow for other input. But whenever lives are at stake, I know I was talking about this with, with Brian Graff from the North American Vegan Society long ago, and he said it has to do with critical mass, that when you get to critical mass about even some social issues that we've seen lately, certain things used to be considered okay and now we know they never were okay and they're absolutely not okay now we get it and we're just not there i guess yet with the numbers with animal rights i don't know how to make it faster we do everything that we can um and i'm all in favor of tolerance if it leads to a vegan world like i have no interest in tolerance if it means tolerating people's bad behavior, not expecting them to change. You know, like I'm not, I'm not one of these sort of live, I'm a live and let live person, but in its most literal sense, like if you're not letting, if someone's not letting an animal live, they're contributing to the suffering and death of an animal. I'm sorry, but like, I don't, I can't tolerate that. Yeah, I, I totally get it. And I don't understand what, what in your opinion, why is it that you 
got it at an early age, as did I. Simone Reyes, who was just in our first segment, got it, continues to get it. And other people very often don't. What's missing? Well, uh, a, that's a wonderful question. Um, I wish I had a really honest, succinct, insightful answer, except I think it's it's almost like the equivalent of death by a thousand cuts. You know, it's a lot of different variables. Like you factor in family, you factor in culture, you factor in the, the fact that the average IQ in the United States is 98. Um, you factor in people's unwillingness to change. You factor in big business and lobbyists and you factor in government subsidized marketing. Like it's, you know, the world of meat and dairy is supported just about everywhere. And once we leave it, once we take the red pill, the vegan red pill, as it were, um, you wonder how anyone with a conscience can be involved in a process that destroys animals and the only home we have and people's health. But when you're in it, because I was in it for the first 19 years of my life, I was just, you know, eating pepperoni pizza and hamburgers, and I thought it was perfectly fine. There is that assumption that people make that if it's socially sanctioned and historically sanctioned, that it has to be okay. You know, that's how slavery was justified for the longest time. That's how women being, you know, denied the right to vote for the longest time. That's why same-sex couples being denied the right to get married for the longest time. Like people sort of thought like, oh, because these things have been around for a while, they're probably okay. And it's so important to stand up and say, oh no, slavery was an abomination. Women being denied the right to vote was an abomination. Same-sex couples being de denied the right to get married, that's an abomination. Using animals for food is an abomination. Does anybody ever say to you, you have so much power in the world to influence others. Why animals? Why not make sure all the people are taken care of first? Oh, the, the best thing you could do for humanity, as you know, I mean, I sort of feel like I, I understand the subtext of your question, or I, I, or I hope I do, which is really the best thing you could ever do for humans is get them to go vegan. You know, whatever issue we care about is incredibly well served by veganism. You know, if it's issues of food deserts, go vegan, stop subsidizing foods that make people sick. If it's climate, environment, antibiotic resistance, um, Alzheimer's, education, pandemics, all these issues have veganism at their core. And so you could very, very easily argue that the best thing, the best issue, the best thing you could do for anyone who wants to save humanity, go vegan. I completely agree with you. Now I wanna ask you a verbal question. The word, the V word, I love it because people know what it means. And so many people say it holds us back. Um, I think it's context, depends where you are. Like when I owned Little Pine, we called Little Pine a vegan restaurant because we we're in Silver Lake. You know, Silver Lake is this super, you know, like hip, progressive, aware. I mean, like, of course, every place has its shortcomings, but Silver Lake was a place where you could use the word vegan and there's no stigma. If you're opening a restaurant in Tulsa, Oklahoma, vegan is probably not the best way to go. You know, then you pick a nice pretty font and you call it plant-based. Um, I personally stay away from the word plant-based because I live in Los Angeles and I'm surrounded by vegans. Like there's no reason for me to 
use the word plant-based. If I had to move to Des Moines, Iowa, maybe then I'd start calling myself plant-based and open a plant-based restaurant because again, it's cultural context. You really do want to save the animals because you would even open another restaurant. If oh, I do anything. I mean, like it's, there is nothing in my life, including my life, more important to me than working on behalf of animal rights. And tell us why that is in our last two minutes. Uh, for all the obvious reasons. I mean, I, I start with the, you know, the worldly reasons of like reducing climate change, saving the rainforest, ending antibiotic resistance, preventing pandemics, you know, protecting human health, protecting workers. But first and foremost is my core unshakable belief that every individual on the planet, be they human or not, is entitled to the life that they've been given. You know, that everybody's entitled to their own rights, their own will. And especially, I would say that especially applies to the defenseless and the innocent. You know, and animals are defenseless and innocent. And I, how we treat the defenseless and the vulnerable and the innocent tells us everything about who we are. That's a lot. I feel like I would love to do a moment of silence, but I guess that doesn't work very well on the radio. So uh, <laughs> the book is The Little Pine Cookbook, Modern Plant-Based Comfort. And you know, you get quite a bit of comfort, I think, just from doing these things that Moby is talking about and leading with your heart. So you can find our wonderful guest, uh, Moby.com. He's Moby on Instagram. And guess what? We still have a minute left. So preach to us. Oh, oh one thing I would say is for me personally, I will never, ever, ever try and make money from veganism. So like the Little Pine Cookbook, when I owned Little Pine, the restaurant, the idea is promoting veganism, promote animal rights, but also to, if revenue is generated, the revenue goes to vegan projects or 501c3s. Um, so just to be clear, I respect other people and their approach to like, you know, pay the rent with their activism. But for me, my conscience prevents me from ever making money from activism. That's beautiful. So uh, buy the book, support the cause. Is that how it works? I mean, there are a lot of other intermediaries. There's a publishing company. Oh, yes, there, of course. You know, lots of other things. So give the money directly to animal rights organizations. But if money is filtered through to me, I certainly would not in good conscience ever keep it. Oh, that's a beautiful, beautiful way to live. Moby, bless your heart. Thank you so much. Thanks to everybody for listening today. Thanks to Unity Online Radio and to all our listeners. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. 
And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind Body Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts.